Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Right. Well, as you can see behind me, we are continuing uh, with the book of Judges. It is a six-week series. Six weeks at the moment. It may become eight. It may become ten. No, I don't think so. We'll, we'll probably stick with six weeks. But uh, this book of Judges is a, is a very interesting book, and I trust you've been able to read it for yourself or busy reading it. The Bible Lent, we've been working through the book of Judges, it's been part of it. And so I hope you have a, a kind of a, a sense or a feel for what takes place in this book. But in essence, the book of Judges was a period of about 200 years between the death of Joshua and the ministry of Samuel. And uh, last Sunday, Liam wonderfully opened the book up for us. And in it, he gave us a timeline of just how we got to the book of Judges. He started with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the Israelites then being enslaved in, in, in Egypt. Moses then rising, God rising, raising Moses up to take them out of Egypt uh, through the Red Sea into the wilderness, and because of their stiff-neckedness, they spend 40 years wandering in that wilderness. And then God raises up a Joshua to take them over the Jordan or through the Jordan River and into Canaan, the promised land. And this is where we now find ourselves in this book of Judges. All right. And so Judges chapter 1 starts then with Israel fighting the Canaanites. But the problem is they failed to drive out the Canaanites completely, which they had actually been tasked to do. And you can read that in in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and in some other places. And so we actually read some of that and we we go back to chapter 1 verse 28 and 29. And it says, when Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Geza, but the Canaanites continue to live there among them. And that was the problem. Somehow Israel thought that they knew better than God. In fact, they chose to be nicer than God by not expelling the Canaanites out of the land. And so driving out the Canaanites was more about driving out their, their cultural and their religious practices and the foreign gods, those idols that they worshipped, more than it was about necessarily taking their lives. Because the problem was not so much the Canaanites as it was the idolatry and the influence that these na- this nation and other nations would ultimately have on Israel. That was the issue. And Liam spoke into that last week wonderfully. And again, I want to say, if you weren't here last week, do yourself a favor and listen to that recording. Because it really does set the stage for what we're going to talk over the next four weeks, excluding this morning. And he spoke about three words of warning that I think would be good for us again, just to be reminded of. And the first warning was this warning of cultural compromise. And so what we see is Israel became accustomed to the Canaanites. But then in in them becoming accustomed to them, they got attracted to their practices, to their ways of life. And the result of being attracted to them is that they began to adopt 
their practices, their religion. And the result was they abandoned God. They turned away from God. And that's how compromise happens, eh? It doesn't start at the end result. It starts with something small. And if not dealt with, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger until compromise is set in. The second thing he spoke about was a generational mandate, which is the mandate and the responsibility we have been given to the next generation. Because here's the truth. If we do not shape the next generation, you know what? Culture will shape them. And that's exactly what happened with the Israelites. The culture of the Canaanites began to shape them, fashion them, and form them into who they were. You know, the truth is what the previous generation abhorred, this generation tolerates, while the next generation celebrates. Very, very true. And a sad reality of what we see in the book of Judges. And then the third thing Liam spoke about was gospel amnesia, forgetfulness. And how often do we read these words in Judges? The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served other gods. And I liked what Liam said last week when he said the greatest challenge to Christian faithfulness is Christian forgetfulness. And as true as it was for these Israelites in this day and age, let me tell you it is equally true for us in this day that we live in. If we're going to be faithful, we cannot forget. We cannot forget what God has said, what he's called us to, what his purpose and plan is for us, the church. eh? All right. And so the book of Judges, in essence, is a series of cycles. And we see how Joshua, having led them into this promised land, things were going incredibly well for Israel. There were good times. They were enjoying the good times until Joshua died. eh? And we read things like this in the book, so the land had peace. But then what happens is they forget God. And not only do they forget God, but they turn away from God. And we read things like this. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the result was bad times come on the nation. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave them over to a hostile nation. And then we see again what happens is the Israelites cry out to God for help. What we read often in the book, again the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer. And so God raises up a judge to deliver them from the hostile nations and from oppression, which we read here. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. And what happens is that they return to good times again until that judge dies and the cycle begins all over again. In fact, this cycle happens seven times in the book of Judges. But here's the thing. It wasn't just a cycle. It was a downward spiral. Things got progressively worse for the nation of Israel. And I think one of the big lessons in this book, and there are many lessons, and and some of those lessons certainly have to do with the nature of God, of how how passionate and how how, um, how patient and compassionate he is. 
But I think one of the big lessons that we can learn from this is that idolatry always leads to immorality. Just like wrong belief leads to wrong behavior. And we see that clearly in this book. And so this morning I want to have a look at the prophetess Deborah, who was a judge and leader of Israel, and her, her subsequent victory song that we're going to read in, in chapters 4 and then the song in chapter 5 of this book, Judges. However, now you're all getting nervous when I say uh, however. There were some verses that caught my attention before that. And one of the wonderful things of, of working through a book as we're doing now is, I, is I'm sure every preacher, and I hope you're doing it as, as well, is we keep coming back to things in this book. I keep reading this book. I keep going back to chapter one and reading. I was looking at chapter four and five. That's kind of the text where I'm preaching from. But I had to keep going back to chapter one. And I must have read chapter one three or four times, chapter two three or four times. And as I read these words in chapter two, I felt God drop some things in my heart that um, I don't want to ignore. So I want to share some things and then we're going to get into Deborah. Does that sound all right? Okay. So here it is, Judges chapter two. And we're going to read from verse 20 through to chapter 3, verse 4. And it says here, the Lord was very angry with Israel. Notice, not just angry, eh? but by now he was very angry with Israel. And said, because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them, that's these nations, to test Israel and to see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. These are the nations the Lord left to test all the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. And then we'll read in brackets there, he did this only or especially to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not previous, who had not had previous battle experience. And then he goes to list these nations. And then in verse four, it says, they were left, that's these remaining nations, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands which he had given their forefathers through Moses. Now, I'm of the belief that God allows certain things to come against us to test us. And more specifically, to test our faith. To see what we really believe and whether we'll stay true to God, no matter what. No matter what comes against us, no matter the opposition, no matter the challenge, no matter how dark it gets. Now, let me just be clear. God never tempts any of us. James tells us that, that God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. The enemy, the devil tempts. But let me go on to say, God tests. God does test. You see it throughout scripture. When that nation of Israel was wandering in the wilderness, you go read the account how many times God tested them. God tested Abraham with his son Isaac. God tested Job. We all know that story. God tested Peter. 
and many other greats in Scripture. They were tested. But to understand this, we've got to realize that a temptation is Satan's invitation to destroy our faith. A test is God's invitation to strengthen our faith. Big difference there. And both will happen continually in your life and in my life. The enemy will forever be tempting. Why? Because he wants to destroy your faith. Why Jesus has to say to, to Peter, but I'm praying for you that your faith, that, that your faith may not fail. But God tests and he allows things to come against us. Why? Because he wants to develop our faith. And so we see how God uses these remaining nations to test the Israelites. That is to give them the opportunity to exercise faith and obedience to God. But you know what? They keep failing the test. And can I say that when trouble comes, it may be that God is wanting us or wanting to see or wanting us to see what's really in us. What we're made of. Because I think we are, each of us is like a tube of toothpaste. And when that tube is squeezed, what's inside comes out. But unless pressure is applied to our lives, the chances are we're never going to really know what's inside us. Eh? What are we made of? How real is our faith? And God tests us. Yes, to reveal what's in us. Absolutely. But he also tests us. Why? Because he wants to refine us. He wants to grow us. He wants to develop us. He wants to mature us. And he wants to certainly strengthen us. And that's why I say all of life, in many respects, is a test. And the thing is, God is watching to see how we handle those tests. Whether it's a situation, a difficulty, a problem, an illness, whether it's criticism, disappointment, pain, success, failure, and the list can go on. But the question is this, is will you falter in the heat of battle or will you come forth as pure gold? As we read of Jacob, uh, Job sorry, in Job 23, verse 10. In Proverbs 24, verse 10, the, the writer says, if you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? And you know what? Times of trouble reveal what is in us, what we're made of, and just how real our faith is. Eh? Because faith is not developed on the mountaintops. Faith is developed in the valleys. Smooth seas do not make for skillful sailors. <laughs> and it's the same with our faith. Eh? But then also God allowed some nations to remain in Canaan in order, and this is the reason, to teach warfare to those who hadn't had battle experience. And so God wanted them to learn how to be victorious in battle by relying on him. Not relying on a person or on a prophet or on an army, but relying on God. And he left some nations in this occupied land of Canaan 
to teach Israel something of that, to train them, to develop them, to actually win battles, but to win battles with God, reliant and dependent on him. You know, Psalm 118, verse 8, and you know why it's such a so-called famous verse? is because it's the very center of the Bible. It's the one verse in the very middle of the Bible. But listen to what it says. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord, to rely on the Lord, than to put your confidence in people or things. And the truth is God allows certain things to take place in our lives. Why? Because he wants to train us. He wants to equip us. He wants to teach us warfare so that we can stand firm in the faith and that we can advance in the things that God has called us to. And the truth is God will use different things eh, in our lives, whether they difficulties, distresses, disappointments, whatever it may be, he uses them to develop spiritual muscle in us. To build tenacity, to build spiritual resistance, uh, resilience in us. Why? So that we can overcome challenges. That we are able to push through adversity. That we're able to go through the, 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 the darkest valleys and come through the other side. And not falter and not faint in the day of adversity. And so as much as God was wanting Israel... To become capable warriors. Can I say in the same way he's wanting us to be capable and to be effective soldiers in his army. Those who are counting for him. Those who are pushing back the powers of darkness. Those who are advancing his kingdom. Those who will be able to stand firm till the end. And there is a journey in that, eh? And God is committed to doing that, if you will allow him. And so those were the verses I read again, just caught my attention. And I felt God wanted to remind us of this again. That just as he left nations in Canaan, so he puts you around people, nations, cultures, ideologies, different persuasions. Why? Because yes, there is a test, but equally there is a training There is a teaching, there is an equipping for you to be able to not just stand firm, but to be able to go on, advance, and be victorious eh? in every way. All right. So, should we get back into this morning? Does my preaching time start now? (laughs) Did I hear a no there? Was that you, Reese, saying no? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. No, it started five minutes ago. All right, so chapter four, as I said, is about Deborah. A the third judge, the third leader of Israel, and as I said, chapter five is her victory song. But for the sake of time, we're not going to read the whole of chapter four or five, but I'm just going to read the first nine verses of chapter four. And so this is what we read here. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud, who was the previous judge, was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. Caesarea, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth. And because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, 
They cried to the Lord for help. Amazing, it took 20 years eh, for them to cry out to God for help. Please don't wait 20 years eh, for you to cry out to God when you're in a tough spot. eh? Now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading, footnote says, judging Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided, which was one of the key purposes of judges in that day. And she sent for Barak, son of Adonim, from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Caesarea, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the river Kishon and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the, for the Lord will deliver Caesarea into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. Now, of course, you need to read the rest of that chapter if you haven't done already, just to see how it all unfolds. But in essence, they win this battle against Jabin, king of Canaan, and of course, his army. But as I reread this, this passage saying, Lord, what does this mean for us here at the village church? What does it mean for us who are living in 2023? And I felt God highlight three things for me that I want to share with you this morning. And that is role clarity, role reluctance, and role value. And so what do I mean by that? Well, let's start with role clarity. Now, Barak, which by the way, his name means lightning or thunderbolt. I've seen both in, 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 in different um, commentaries. But he was the leader, the commander-in-chief of Israel's armies, which I think his name was really fitting, eh? I think I could call my kid lightning or thunderbolt because there's just something real manly about that, eh? <laughs> I think. But, um, but he was the leader of Israel's army. And so his role, his position, and therefore his responsibility was to lead the Israelite army into battle. But then it was also to be able to have the honor of leading them back from their military campaigns and even from their victories as the head as in, in triumphal procession to the, to the honor of the city, to, the, to, the, uh, to a hero's welcome as he came back. That was the commander and chief's role. That was his position. That was the honor that was bestowed him. It wasn't Deborah's place to go into battle. Her place was to stay behind resolving disputes as Israel's judge. Notice here they both had roles to play. And it's not to say that one role is more important than the other role. It's just that they were different. 
And here's the thing, when we start taking on roles that have not been given to us by God, we mess God's order up. Can I say that again? When we, stake, when we start to take on roles that have not been given to us by God, we mess God's order up. And that's exactly what happened here. And yes, of course, there is equality at the foot of the cross. Absolutely. But there are different roles. There are different functions that need to get played out. Whether it's in marriage, whether it's in family, in society, in governments, including the church. Different roles. Different positions that God has called different people to play. And let me say again, equality is not sameness, which is the big challenge that we're facing in this generation. Hey? Equality, 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 but equality is not sameness. Let me say again, there are different roles that God has called different people to play, and we need to ensure that we are playing the role that has been given to us by God. The role as husband to your wife, Wife to husband, role of father, role of mother, role of boss, employee, whatever it may be. And it's important that we not only understand the role, but we're able to stay in the lane that God has called us to run in. Otherwise, things get all out of sync. Eh? And in some ways, this is what happened here. Barak didn't want to play and fulfill the role that he was called to. And it would then seem Deborah had to step out of her role to go and play another role that potentially God hadn't given her to play. Now I could spend quite a lot of time on this and certainly in the culture that we're facing now. But I trust you get the point. Eh? Roles are designed by God and we need to value them, we need to appreciate them and we need to play our part in what God's called us to the second thing we see here was role reluctance. And by that I'm talking about specifically reluctant leader, a reluctant leader and a reluctant follower. Because we see some of this here. Because Barak's reluctance to go into battle without Deborah actually showed a lack of trust in the Lord his God. And as a result of that, the honor of victory over Caesarea, who, let me remind you, was the Canaanite army commander, that honor would now be, would now be given to a woman. Not Deborah, but a woman by the name of Jael. Just as Deborah had prophesied it would be. And you have to keep reading chapter 4 to see exactly how that unfolds but the short version is it of it is that she puts a tent peg through the head through the skull of Caesarea quite a story I think it's a, a, a PG story that one but worth reading it eh? and so it was Barak's resistance his hesitancy his reluctance that hindered him from receiving the honor and the distinction of defeating the Canaanites, which should have been his, eh? as commander of chief, in chief of the army. 
And you know, honor is not so much a big deal in this day and age. It should be, but it isn't. But you know what it certainly was in that day and age? Eh? Honor was massive. Some ways, honor was everything. And so the question then is, well, what caused Barak's reluctance? Well, very simply, he didn't trust God. He didn't trust God. He seemed to have more faith in Deborah and her ability as judge and leader than he had in God. Eh? And you know, even after Deborah says to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you to go, he still wavers. He's still reluctant to go. In fact, he refuses to go without her. Now, can I say in the same way, our reluctance in stepping up to and into the things that God has call, called us to can equally cause us to miss out on the accolades and the rewards of heaven in the same way. And instead of hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant, we might hear wicked and lazy servant. Matthew chapter 25. In fact, the parable of the talents, for me, shows the difference between being bold and front-footed and being fearful and reluctant. Those three stewards. And in fact, Deborah's song speaks right into this. In chapter 5, verse 2, it says, When the princes or when the leaders in Israel take the lead, then the people willingly offer themselves. Praise the Lord. In other words, when leaders lead and the people willingly give of themselves, rather than being hesitant, rather than being backfooted, then God is most glorified. A few verses on, verse 9. In that song in chapter 5, it says, My heart is with Israel's princes. With the willing volunteers among the people, praise the Lord. I want to give a massive shout out this morning to all the willing volunteers at the Village Church. I want to say thank you, every single one of you. Thank you for being front-footed. Thank you for putting your hand up and saying, I'm here. How can I serve? Where can I serve? What can I do? Thank you for not being reluctant. Thank you for not being hesitant. Thank you for being here early this morning to set up. Thank you musicians who came on Thursday to practice for this morning and led us beautifully in worship. Thank you to our AV and our sound guys. And the list could go on and on and on. I want to say on behalf of the elders, thank you to every willing volunteer. God is most blessed. God is most praised. God is most glorified because of your willingness. Bless you for it. And then the third thing we see as role value. Now, let me just remind you that in this day and age, honor given to a woman was unheard of. <laughs> no disrespect, ladies, but it was rare in every sense. Unheard of, eh? In fact, according to what we're about to read, to be killed by a woman 
was the ultimate humiliation. Fine to be killed by a man, maybe even a boy, but not a girl, not a woman, young or old. And in fact, in this very book, in Judges chapter 9, let me read it, verse 52 to 54. It says here that Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Hurriedly, he called to his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me so that they cannot say a woman killed me. So his servant ran him through and he died. Now, come on, let's face it. In this day and age, that would be incredibly chauvinistic. eh? But not in that day. Not in that day. In fact, Abimelech's death was long remembered as something profoundly shameful. And I say that why? Because in 2 Samuel eleven twenty one, David actually uses this as an example for the soldiers not to get too close to the enemy city's walls in case something similar like that happened. And you can see almost some of the disgrace that went with it. But what makes the story so intriguing is how God, in rescuing Israel, took the honor of victory away from a man who showed himself to be unworthy of it and gave it to a woman. Showing us God's sovereign freedom to use whoever he will choose to use for the advancement of his kingdom and for the accomplishment of his great purposes. Whether you are a Jew or a Greek, whether you are slave or free, whether you are male or female, God can use you and God wants to use you for his great purposes. Please hear that this morning. And so in closing... Let me say to you this morning, you are valuable. That word came through wonderfully this morning. Cole had no idea what I was going to preach. And I never tell her what I'm going to preach because I don't want to be influenced in any way by what I feel God may have said to me to preach. It's not that I don't trust her or her perspective. I just want to do it to the audience of one. eh? But know this morning... That you are valuable. And not only are you valuable, but what you do is so valuable to God. Secondly, can I say to you, don't be reluctant in stepping up and into that which God has put on your heart. That which he may have called you to. Don't be reluctant when there is a need To put your hand up and say, what can I do, Lord? Just like Isaiah, here am I. Use me, send me, do with me as you please. I want to challenge you this morning. If you have been reluctant, if you have been back-footed, it's time to step up and to step into that which God has for you. And then thirdly, celebrate the role that God has called you to play. Don't try and play someone else's role. Don't run in someone else's lane. Don't try and be like anyone else. Know who it is you are in God 
and then do what he's called you to do and celebrate the role that he's called you to play in his church, in his kingdom, and certainly in this world. Huh? Can we pray? Father, the truth is we, we live in a world, we live in a society where role clarity has become so blurred that everyone does as they see fit, wants to be whatever they want to be. When you've clearly given us guidelines, you've given us clarity on roles. And Father, I ask this morning that we would settle these issues. We would settle these questions in our own heart, understanding who it is that you've called us to be what it is that you've called us to do, and that we would get on with doing it. I pray, Father, that for us who may be reluctant in this room this morning, Lord, I ask that you would set us free, that we would again know who we are in you and because of you, and that, Lord, we would know that you have gifted us, that you have called us, that you've given us everything we need for life and for godliness, and then, Lord, we'll get on with doing it. Forgive us, Lord, where we've been hesitant. Forgive us when we've been intimidated, when we've been fearful, where we thought others can do it better. Let others carry on with it, and we'll kind of watch and see. Father, we say this morning, we are sorry. Forgive us. Let us not be like Barak, who was reluctant to go and do what you had called him to do, what you had raised him up to do. But, Lord, let us get on with this great call and not be held back by our own fears or our own insecurities. And then, Lord, lastly, we thank you for the value that you give to each one of us. And we want to play our roles with an understanding of just how valuable those roles are, but also how valuable we are to you. That we would not only understand it, but, Lord, we would give ourselves wholeheartedly to it. Whether we are men or women, the wonderful thing is, Lord, you have a great purpose and a great call for each of us. Yes, those roles may be different, but there is value in each one of them. And we ask that we would celebrate that in the name of Jesus. Amen.